0: You can turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Two parables. We have a question that's asked that produces three parables from Jesus. The parable of a lost sheep, the parable of a lost coin, and the most famous one of the three, the prodigal son. We will only talk about the first two today. On the screen is an image of a a two-euro coin. The euro is amazing because the smallest bill they have is a five. So you can walk around with one and two euro coins in your pocket. It's so much more convenient to pay for things than digging out ones all the time. A two euro coin. That has nothing to do with with anything I'm going to talk about. Um, To talk about what what is Jesus saying in this parable, I want to introduce you or, or reintroduce you to a John Wayne movie called The Searchers. I don't know if anyone has seen The Searchers. It's one of his classic movies. And in The Searchers, John Wayne is a Civil War veteran who returns home from the war. And not long after he comes home, a, a, an Indian raid, this is in, takes place in Texas, an Indian raid um, uh, kills tons of members of his family and kidnaps his, uh, kidnaps his niece, Debbie. And they take her away. And John Wayne vows to find her. He's going to find her, and he's going to bring her back. And so the entire movie is him and a posse of people, small posse of people, who are tracking to find these Indians so they can grab Debbie and bring her back home. And the entire movie is just that that whole story. For years, he's tracking her and the Indians who have her to find her so he can bring her back. And that's what the movie's about. Now, the movie analogy, the connection to the parable breaks down in the end, and I'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But I just want to emphasize as a segue the the single-minded, relentless pursuit that John Wayne's character goes through to find this girl, years of struggle and searching to find this girl who is that important to him he wants to find her rescue her and bring her back and that's a segue into what these two parables are about we all know if you've been a Christian for any length of time you know God loves us or even if you're not a Christian you you've heard God loves us whether you believe it or not you you've heard it as as a thing you know all the sports players with John 3 16 written on their face and stuff like that so people know God loves us but what is the you know what's the extent of the love what's its depth what is your value to God as a person you sitting right here do you have any value to God or is he only care for people who actually, who already love him if you don't love God maybe you're here because someone brought you here or Whatever the reason, but you, you don't really love God yourself. Does God only love people who love him first? So what's the nature of this love? What's your value to God? And this is a particularly important question. If you've been hurt by people who are supposed to love you, a mother who didn't care, a father who is always too busy, always distant, a spouse who's betrayed you, Friends who stabbed you in the back. If you have been hurt by people, maybe you've been really hurt by people. This is an important question for you. The people you trusted did not, weren't, they weren't trustworthy. But what does God think about you as a person, whether you love him now or not? What about outsiders to the faith? What are they worth to God? So these two parables get to the heart of that question they answer the question because there's an assumption that's made and Jesus wants to set the record straight for them and for you for us so we'll be in Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10 the two parables we'll save the prodigal son for next time and we're going the sermon will go like this we'll go through the parables they're very simple you can get them there's not a whole lot of uh, amazingness to be, to be unveiled. You can read them and get them. And then I wanna talk about what does that mean for our Christian lives in 2023 America. There are handouts, if you're a fill in the blank kind of person or you like to take notes, uh, there are handouts on the podium at the front entrance that you can grab to go along, pens at the Welcome Center, or you can just listen, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Let's pray and uh, we'll dive into Luke chapter 15, verses one through 10. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to have the right attitude about people. Help us to learn from what the Pharisees think and the way Jesus corrected them. Help us to have the heart that Jesus has. Not compromising truth, but having his heart for people. The same heart that he had. Make that heart be real in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is what it says. Luke chapter 15. The last time we were here, we saw Jesus giving the example of the um, guy who's building the tower and the guy who is going to count the cost before going, uh, going to war. And now, right after that, we have this, uh, this parable. Verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, these are not... These are not um, uh, accepted people, according to the Pharisees. They don't like these people. Tax collectors are collaborators. They work with the Romans and help them collect taxes from the Jewish people. So they're really looked down on as scum, as traitors, as just nasty people. They're only in it for money. They rip people off, like Zacchaeus. Um, they're they're not you know very devout people. Um, they're they're just living their lives and they find a, a job that makes them a lot of money. Let's do it. The fact that it might you know, defraud, you can use it to defraud your own people. Eh, not a big deal. So th- these are not, doesn't mean they're evil, but it just, they're not devout people, right? They're just, they're not. They have other things that occupy their time. Tax collectors and sinners. They're all gathered around to hear Jesus. To the Pharisees. So this this sinner word, you can look at it from two points of view. To the, from the Pharisees' eyes, they're scum, they're, they're, un, they're non-devout people. So the Pharisees look at them with disgust, with contempt, um, and they, they do not like these, these sinners. Sometimes they might actually be sinful people, or they're just people who aren't as devout as them. It's hard to tell which, which one um, we're exactly talking about. But from Jesus's perspective he doesn't care to Jesus's perspective a sinner is just someone who isn't serious about God or doesn't know who he is who needs the message of salvation and Jesus often hangs out with people who need to hear his message Jesus doesn't just stay inside the church building and sing to the choir he goes and talks to people who aren't part of the choir so that they can become part of the choir. Task collectors and sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law were muttering or complaining, grumbling among themselves, this man, they can't even say his name. They they know who he is, they won't say his name. This guy, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're very angry. Very, because they're very... um, very legalistic people and so they're outraged that if Jesus really is a teacher he goes around and says teaches and is a rabbi but how could this if he really knows God and knows the law according to their interpretation he shouldn't have anything to do with these scum these losers these unreligious people He's gonna be contaminated by them you don't want to get your hands dirty going to all the places they go to and everything you stay away stay here it's nice in here we have a potluck, little Valentine's red tablecloth. It's all nice. Everyone's put together. All of you are really put together. We're all dressed nicely. We pretend we have no problems. It's all, it's all good. It's all wholesome, right? Everyone looks so happy. Everyone looks so put together. It's easy to deal with that. But you go out there and you get all messy. Messiness is out there. And the Pharisees don't like that. So they're very outraged. If you say you're a a rabbi, how could you go out and associate with these, these unreligious, unwashed people? So that's their attitude. And it's that comment that prompts three parables. We're only looking at two of them today. So Jesus told them this parable. He doesn't just say, no, you're wrong. He tells them two stories. To get them to think, it ends up saying the same thing, you're wrong. But the stories help soften the blow and help us to think. We think about it more than just having someone say, nope, you're wrong. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? It's a simple question, and it's expect- you're, you're not supposed to think really hard. Well, yeah, you should go after the one that's lost. Who cares if one's gone, but what if another one goes and another one goes? I mean, th- this is money. This is money. You can't just let money go. Um, you, you have to keep the sheep together because they're yours. They cost money. They'll make you money. It's business. So, yeah, you're going you're gonna to go find the one that's lost, so you keep your flock together. Fair enough and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I've found my lost sheep with parables it's hard sometimes to know when to stop trying to connect dots and go too far some people some people would read this and they'd be like, well, I don't really know if the guy would really be that happy to find his sheep. And why would he have a party just because he found his sheep? And the story is kind of weird. If, if, that's the way, if that's the way your mind is going, I get what you're doing, but you're, you're missing the point. The story's not supposed to be this, this detailed story of reality. It's just a story to make a simple point. The guy cares about his sheep. He goes and finds, even if one is missing, he'll go and he'll find it. So he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is sarcastic sometimes. I don't think he's being sarcastic here. I don't think, what I think he's saying is, listen, guys, God cares about people so much that He will go after even one person who's gone lost, who's gone missing. And if he find, when He finds the person and brings that lost sheep home, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over that person who's found home again than over the 99 other people who are already there. Who are already there god cares about you whether you love him now or not and that's what i want us to get that's what jesus wants us to get That's what he wanted them to get you have the pharisees i can't believe it and jesus says god will go after even one person who's gone lost god cares about you whoever you are whatever you're into or whatever you're going through God cares about you he searches for you he seeks you out he goes after you he doesn't say well when he wises up and comes back I'll be waiting he goes after the sheep and then personally carries you home with joy in Isaiah chapter 40 there's this picture of the end times this Picture that's being painted about uh, the, the, the Lord gathering up all his sheep and carrying the young in his arms as they all march to Zion together. It's that imagery. This is how God cares about you. You might think, God doesn't care about me. I have to fix myself first. Well, that's a lie. He cares about you even as you're into whatever it is you're into, and he will go after you, search for you, And rescue you and carry you home where you belong. And then heaven rejoices when you repent. Even me, even you. And it's even more powerful because we're the ones who've left the flock and and wandered away. That's the first parable. That's the point he wants to make to them. He said, you guys, attitude is, it's all wrong. The coin suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one so there's no electricity houses are dark narrow windows so it's dark a lot so she loses a coin on the floor how's she gonna find it again she's gonna get a light of some sort and search for the coin This is an image of a poor person. Ten coins, loses one. Not good. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Of course. You lose. You have. You only have a, some. You only have a certain amount of money till payday. You lose twenty dollars. You will look for the twenty dollars. You'll go look on the stairs. You'll look in your car. You'll look in your jacket. You'll look in your purse. You'll look in your wallet. You will look for the twenty dollars because you don't have a lot of money. It's kind of a big deal that you have money to buy groceries or to do whatever it is you have to do. This woman is no different. She's just like us. She's going to find the thing. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, it's just a simple story to get the point across. In the same way, I tell you, Jesus says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one. These two parables, what a different attitude than what the Pharisees had. And the Pharisees and scribes, they run the schools, they train all the kids. Some of you have read news reports and are worried about weird stuff going on in public schools, because what goes on in public schools impacts the kids. And then the kids grow up, and then they pass the strangeness on. So parents have always been curious about, uh, concern about what goes on in the schools. The scribes and the Pharisees run the schools. For the Jewish boys and girls. Especially the Jewish boys. So the, the, the attitude they have, they teach that to the kids. The kids grow up and they become little Pharisees. And they teach their kids. And it just keeps going on. So the whole attitude, Jesus says, is, is wrong. All of it's wrong. This attitude that you have. So now we come to Questions to think about: What does this even mean? Which are keyed to the the questions on the handout. What does the parable of the lost sheep mean? What's this parable trying to show us? It's talking about the the extent to which Jesus goes to rescue even one of us to find us and bring us home. Uh, the links, the the extent to which he goes out, seeks, finds. puts puts us on his shoulders, and personally carries us home with joy. And the angels in heaven rejoice. The parable of the lost sheep is about the depths to which Jesus will go to save even one sinner who needs to hear the message, even if he doesn't even realize it yet. What does the parable of the lost coin mean? I think the lost coin is best seen as an example of the the thoroughness that God searches for us. You have this image of this woman in this darkened house. Maybe it's nighttime, but even if it's not, there's not a lot of light coming in. And she has this little lamp and she's she has a broom like this straw broom and she's sweeping the floor, holding the lamp, sweeping the floor. And when the broom hits the coin, she'll hear she'll hear the coin and she'll say, aha, and she'll try and find it. So she's going around all the corners looking for this coin because she needs the $20, right? Only got $200, missing 20 of it, and paydays in 10 days. She needs the 20, so she's looking for it. The thoroughness of the search lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches carefully until she finds it. God searches thoroughly the whole world for the people who need to hear his message and he does it through us so if you have the attitude the pharisees had where you 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 don't want to get involved with those messy people you only want good people who are already put together like all of us we're all perfectly put together right everyone looks good everyone's dressed fine everyone's got it together you know we don't want problems we want a superficial good people vibe but God searches everywhere with great thoroughness to find his lost sheep. And now we get to the heart of this. Why did Jesus tell these parables? Why did he tell them? He told it to show the Pharisees that they have it wrong. God does not despise people who are lost, He wants to find them. And persuade them to join his family he wants he wants them to join so he's gonna go find them and tell them the message so there's three scriptures I'm going to put on the screen that I want us to think about two are from the Old Testament ones from the New Isaiah 11:4, which is on your screen we read with righteousness this is talking about the Messiah who's going to come one day with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. Who are the needy? Who are the needy who he's, gonna, uh, who he's going to judge with righteousness? Who he's going to save and, 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 and fix and, and rescue? We're tempted to think it's all the Israelites who, are, who have it all together and who are waiting. And yeah, it's them. But what about all of the people who are needy, meaning they're destitute? Not just materially, but spiritually, they're like hopeless. Their world is dark. They're depressed. They don't find hope in life. They're, they're, they're lost. They're unhappy. They're unfulfilled. What about those people? Does God not care about those people? We may be tempted to read the scripture and only interpret it from, well, that's us. That's all the good people. Those are the people he's going to, you know, it's all of this is for the good people. Well, what about all the other people who he wants to join his family? What about them? There are millions of people who don't have peace and are not, they don't have hope. They don't know they need Jesus, but that's what our job is. We're supposed to go tell them about the good news, the gospel, because they don't know they need Jesus. They need to hear about him. Isaiah 61.1 Who are the brokenhearted? Who are the captives? Who are the prisoners? Only the good people who are waiting? There are a bunch of, good, there are a bunch of believers who are waiting for the Lord. Good people, that's good. That is, that is them, but is it only them? What about all the people... Who, who, who need to be part of the group, but, but haven't heard yet? The sinners, the outcasts, the brokenhearted, because everything, all the answers they've, they've grabbed onto in life, they, they haven't panned out. They're empty. What about them? What about the captives? The ones who are trapped in situations they can't get out of? Boy, abusive boyfriend, abusive girlfriend, Job, they can't get a job that'll pay their rent. Living, living with a friend of a friend of a friend and can never move out. Uh, people who are just there, they're, they're they feel trapped. They're spiritually trapped because they don't have Jesus. And they're just trapped in this world that's not giving them peace, comfort. This isn't the way life is supposed to be. Living with your friend's friend and sleeping on a couch, that's not, that's not the way life is supposed to be. The prisoners. All of these things. Jesus came to do all of these things. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom for the captives. Release for darkness from darkness for the prisoners. What about the poor in spirit? Who are these people? Poor in spirit. It doesn't just mean, you know, I only have a hundred bucks in paydays in a week. It's people who are the needy, people who are crushed, people who uh, are, feel depressed, who are hopeless, who have n- no pizzazz in their life because they have no hope. They go to work, they go do stuff, but there's no life, there's no hope. They're crushed in spirit, they're poor in spirit. Later in Matthew 5-6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now that's the Pharisees. They, they want righteousness in their own wrong twisted way and they want things to get better they're waiting for it they're waiting for the messiah they love righteousness so much they try and make people earn it by doing all these good things to earn salvation so there's that um but what about all the other people who don't know what righteousness is don't know how they can become righteous how god can make them righteous the poor in spirit the pharisees to the pharisees all of these things, they're all for the faithful, the people who are already in, the people who are waiting for Jesus. All those promises are for them, and we just need to hold on and wait, and he's going to come and get us out of here. That sort of attitude. Stay pure, stay away from the world, and he's going to get us out of here soon. Just hold on. And that kind of ethos is, part of that's true, but that's not the whole story jesus in these parables and in the people he talks to says that we are all needy we're all the poor in spirit we're all the broken hearted the captives the prisoners we just don't know it unless someone decides to tell us about it someone like jesus someone like you someone like me so my question is this what are some ways Christians can make the exact same mistake the Pharisees made. What which genuinely sinful, and I'll emphasize that when I give my example, what which genuinely sinful outsiders are good examples of people who Christians tend to look down on, who need Jesus's truth and love the most? In 2023, America. The example I'm going to give, I'm giving it on purpose because I want this to, I was thinking of how can we make this real? We could just leave here and say, yep, we got to have a good attitude and uh, love people. Hallelujah! Potluck! Dessert! Lunch! But, there will be that, but, so what, which, what group of people are genuinely sinful, but, need Jesus' love and truth the most who Christians are tempted to not want to talk to or have anything to do with, have the same attitude of, ugh, stay away. You can think of a bunch of things. I think the example that came to mind is homosexuality and transgenderism. That's the example that came to my mind. Jesus associates with all sorts of people. He never condones them or says what they're doing is fine. Never, never, never. But he wants to win them to God. And in order to win them to God, he does have to speak to them. He can't just kick them to the curb and hide away and say nasty things. That's what the Pharisees did. There's tax collectors, traitors, losers, stay away. Jesus never said it was good to defraud people. He told Zacchaeus when he became a believer to go give restitution and fix all the people you stole from. Um, Jesus never condones sin, but he does deliberately spend time with sinners so that he can win them away from that into his family. You could think of other examples, but to me, that's the best example of a group who need truth the most. Homosexuality, transgenderism who Christians are tempted to stay far away from and not want to have anything to do with. It's Jesus's warmth that attracted these people who would never want to talk with a Pharisee in their entire lives, their entire lives. There is a brand of Christianity that preaches uh, something that's true, but they maximize it so it becomes false. This idea of separation, Our job is to be pure until the Lord comes. And that's good. We're supposed to be holy as he is holy. We're supposed to be unsoiled from the world. All of that's true, but it's not the whole story. It's like using a hammer for everything. There are other tools that do exist. And if you, if Christians engage the world, if you engage the world, you have people at work, coworkers, our friends, our family, if Christians engage the world, with the default attitude, especially toward homosexuality and transgenderism, but it could be anything, with the default attitude of disgust and anger, no matter how pure your your motives are because you want to be true to God, that will never help them to see the truth. This guy, this is the pastor from Footloose, this guy is not the guy you want to talk to someone who is a sinner. What a nice guy. No one wants to talk to this guy because he's angry. Who wants to talk to him? I don't even want to talk to him. When I watched the movie, I was actually mad that he changed at the end because I hated him so much. I didn't want him to change. I want him to become this bitter guy who loses his whole congregation or something. I don't like him. What I'm saying is you can be a Pharisee and whatever group it is that, that really frustrates you and you don't want anything to do with it nothing stay away or scorn or disgust Uh, that attitude the footloose preacher attitude that will never win them to the truth so they can move away from that thing it'll never do it they don't want they want to have anything to do with you which is why the pharisees stayed away they don't want to have anything to do with them and they don't want to have anything to do with the pharisees nothing So the message that Reverend Shaw, that's his name, the message Reverend Shaw has, and the Pharisees have, they might never say that because they know it's wrong, but the message seems to be to outsiders, you clean yourself up and then you can come and we can talk. That's not what the gospel is. Jesus says, no. These people are coming to him to hear him. He shows warmth and love, not acceptance, of their attitudes or beliefs, but warmth and love so we can tell them the truth, so we can bring them away from that and carry them home. Or we can be like that, which is what the Pharisees were like. How can you ever have anything to do with that? In the movie The Searchers, this is Natalie Wood, and she's very young, John Wayne finally did find his niece, but it had been years And she'd adopted, she'd assimilated and adopted Native American ways. I have no idea if it's accurate or not. It's a Western from the 50s, so it probably doesn't score points for historical accuracy. But she's living as 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 an Indian woman when he finds her. And he's so enraged. This is a movie from the 50s, and he's playing, John Wayne's playing a guy from the 1860s. And his character hates Indians, hates them. And when he finds her and realizes she'd gone rogue and has been living for so long with the people who kidnapped her, she'd become essentially an Indian woman, he decides it would be better for him to kill her rather than rescue her, because that's how much he hated her. And he has to be stopped from killing her. That's where the analogy breaks down. We are people we have left the reservation. Our first parents left, and so we're all born off the reservation. And Jesus goes after us to find us, searches long and hard, thoroughly, for just one of us, knowing that we've assimilated, knowing that we're not believers. And he searches for us anyway. So this is what I'm going to leave you with. God loves outsiders, people who are not believers. God wants them to be insiders. He loves us so much that he'll leave 99 of us behind safe here to search for just one lost sheep. He loves us so much he'll scour the ends of the earth, the darkest corners, the shadiest dives, and the most desolate places just like that poor woman who's searching her house with a tiny little light for a coin. Jesus didn't sit in fine clothes and huff at people who weren't believers. I can't believe this. can't believe I'm living in this place. Can't wait to get out of here. He didn't do that. He didn't ask people, clean yourself up, and then you can come so we can talk. He, instead, he left his father's house, he comes here to search and find us and then carry us home. And angels in heaven rejoice when just one of us repents and joins his family. It's about this is about attitude. The spirit we have, the attitude, the mindset we have. You can be like Reverend Shaw or you can be like Jesus who seeks out outsiders on purpose. Not to be like them or to tell them everything's fine and lie to them, but so you can tell them the truth and bring them home. That's who God is. That's the gospel. And that's the real Christian story. That's what God wants us to see from these two parables. And he wants us to make that real in our life in whatever way the Holy Spirit impresses upon you to do it. I don't know what it is, but he does. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We praise you. Work on our lives. Reveal to us how we're supposed to make this real. Help us to banish pharisaical or or legalistic thoughts from our minds about outsiders who don't know you, who don't know the faith, and so therefore aren't going to do what you say. Help us not to expect this to be a Christian world, because it's not. And so help us to, to... calibrate our expectations and our attitude to be like Jesus, to go out and talk to people who need to hear the message and not simply to people who are already part of the choir. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.